Happy New Year to all of you. And open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. My name is C.B. Etter, and I'm the senior pastor of Christ Community. I want to welcome all of you here, and guests, especially you. Thanks so much for joining us this Sunday morning. We're in the midst of a series in the Gospel of Matthew entitled, Follow Me, Jesus' Words to Matthew Himself, Follow Me, and Following in the Footsteps of Jesus Christ. And so in Matthew chapter 18, we've been looking at some wonderful themes, and I want to highlight some of those themes This morning, let's look at Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Let's read God's word together. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them is going astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Uh, The title of the message this morning is Treating God's Little Ones Well. Treating God's Little Ones Well. Let's pray together. Lord, as we turn our attention to your word and as we reflect on this theme of your little ones, your children, Lord, we thank you so much that we who are Christians in this room, who by the mercy and grace of God have repented of our sins and trusted in you, we are your children adopted into your very family sons and daughters of the Most High God. We thank you so much, Father. We we marvel that we would be called children of God, your little ones. Lord, as I, I pray as we head into this new year that we as a church family would would have a heart that would honor and glorify you by keeping our eyes upon you, focusing on you, making you the object of our gaze and our worship and our passion, our affection, our devotion, our seeking. And Lord God, I pray that one of the outflows of that would be that we would be a congregation that would be warm-hearted toward your little ones, that we would genuinely love and genuinely receive your little ones And do nothing ever to stumble them. Lord, I ask that you would seal up these themes that you've hit on, Lord, over these last number of weeks into our hearts and solidify, Holy Spirit, what you desire to do to cause us to be an even more warm, loving people for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank all of you 
who were here on the Christmas Eve service and who were so kind to be just so excited about uh, just the upcoming week of vacation that me and my family uh, are going to take. I hinted at it in the Christmas Eve service when I was talking about a gift that we're going to give our kids to surprise them on Christmas morning. And uh, a number of you just expressed uh, just just enthusiasm about that. And and uh, what we did is Christmas morning when they woke up, um, Shannon had purchased a bunch of little pieces of luggage for them and it was under the tree and they unwrapped my four children did uh each one of them had like this little piece of luggage uh like my son Blair who's eight had a had a stormtrooper on his piece of luggage and each one of the uh my daughters had a piece of luggage as well and inside Shannon had these clues like you know what a road trip and you know, and we started just answering those kind of questions, and it was sort of like a little scavenger hunt to find out what was going to happen. And so we decided to just surprise the kids, and uh, we're going to take them on a trip, a road trip, uh, down to Florida. And we're heading out right after the service today. And uh, yeah, so we're really excited about that. And one of my one of my children isn't wasn't feeling the best uh, over the last couple of days, so they're not here with us this morning. But uh, we're going to be hitting the road right after the service today. What was funny was an original trip planned for Colonial Williamsburg. We were going to go down to Williamsburg for uh, a few days. As Shannon was researching more hotels, she was finding cheaper hotels down in Orlando. And so she was like, what do you think if we were to consider doing this? I'm like, it's crazy. Uh, but, man, it sounds like a great time. And so we're going to head out, take the caravan, take uh, the family down to uh down to Orlando over the next week, and we're going to try to catch the Magic Kingdom on Wednesday. And so we're really excited about it and uh, looking forward to going. My kids were tickled by it, and uh, they were blown away. You might remember the Christmas Eve service. I, I said, we're going to do something that's going to knock their socks off. And so my uh, one daughter, uh, Christmas morning, after this was kind of revealed, she she uh, took her socks off and threw them up in the air and said, you did, Daddy, blow our socks off, Daddy and Mommy. So that was just a fun, fun uh, memory. And we're looking forward to the, the trip. So if you could just pray for our trip down there. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, this next week together as a family. And thank you so much, church, for just your your love for me and my wife Shannon and our family. Thank you for your love for Ben and Kelly and their family, John and Kim and their family. We as pastors are so blessed to be in the midst of a congregation that that is uh, just genuinely carrying us on their hearts with affection and warmth and prayer. And we just want to let you know that we don't take that for granted. We are so grateful for just the, the eager interest you take in our lives and and uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, one of the themes that's been resonating in my mind is just a church that feels like family. And um, that type of bond, the family bond, um, you know, it, it's very deep when it's just your blood. But there's something about what the Holy Spirit does when he saves us and transforms us into children of God so that we are collectively sons and daughters adopted by our Heavenly Father, and we really are brothers and sisters in Christ. We really are brothers and sisters in the Spirit. And you hear the expression all the time, blood is thicker than water, but I love the expression, the Spirit is thicker than both. And I think that is something we want to strive for heading into 2017. I thank God for the the love and the depth and the warmth, the family-like bond that we have as a church family. And part of the, the focus and burden of this message here in Matthew 18 is to focus in on some of the themes of treating God's little ones well so that we would be a church that ever grows through the years and feeling like family, that there would be a genuine love for Christ that flows out into a a genuine relational warmth, a family-like warmth amongst each one of us as brothers and sisters that causes our love for Christ and our love for each other to grow throughout the years. Part of the burden I have heading into this message is 
this phrase of real genuine relational warmth in our church body flowing out from a genuine Christ-like love. Genuine relational warmth flowing out from genuine Christ-like love. And where does that burden come from? Well, it comes from what we've been meditating on as we've been expositing Matthew chapter 18 and looking verse by verse through this section in Scripture. I'm so moved by this theme all the way throughout Matthew 18 of God's little ones and how God really cares how we as His people treat His little ones. We see that in verse 6 of Matthew 18, the Word of God says, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, who believe in Me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. We see that God cares about His little ones who believe in Him. You see that this definition of little ones is synonymous with those who believe in Christ. Those who believe in Christ are God's little ones. So you can be five years old and be one of God's little ones. You can be 50 years old, 80 years old, and you are still one of God's little ones. These are descriptions of the children of God. Those who have, by the grace of God, repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you haven't repented of your sins, turned away from your old life, turned away from a lifestyle of sin in repentance, we want to urge you as a church to do that. My friend, there is no salvation without genuine repentance in Christ. And there's no salvation without true, genuine, saving faith that says, Oh, Jesus, please forgive all of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the dead for my sins. I believe in you with all my heart. There's no salvation except through Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. And we want to, as we head into 2017, really focus our gaze as a congregation on Christ with greater and greater passion. We've done that for the last 15 years as our church has existed And it's been a foundation for us all the way from the very beginning. But as we head into this new year, it's a real spirit-born burden that we would keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and focus on Him in the midst of this turning world that can so disorient us and tempt us to take our eyes off of Christ. I was thinking about um, going to Disney because it's so relevant to what we're doing uh, this coming week as a family. And I was thinking, I almost got to Disney World as a kid. I didn't go as a kid, but almost got to Disney World as a kid when I was on the game show Double Dare by Nickelodeon. I don't know if you have, remember some of you, the game show Double Dare that was on Nickelodeon uh, when I was growing up, 7th, 8th grade. Uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Nickelodeon came to, uh, my high school or my, my junior high. They came to my English class and they were doing these like mock game shows and I just thought it was some goofy thing that we were doing. Well, here there was, there were representatives from Nickelodeon there who ended up choosing me and one of my friends to go and be on the show. And, uh, when I was on the show, I don't want to blow it for you, but if you look at, <laughs> If you go on YouTube and you put in double dare, uh, dipsticks versus airheads, you will find the game show I was on. Now please don't do that right now. <laughs> we'll have everybody during the sermon watching my uh, game show on double dare. Uh, but it was a blast. And uh, one of the things that happened was there was a first round where we went against another team to see who would win and then go into... Uh, sort of the obstacle course where you would get all slimed with green slime for those who won. Well, we won the first round and we were in the obstacle course. I'm not going to blow the ending completely for you, but man, almost, <laughs> almost. I'll let you watch it yourself and get a kick out of it. And I'm up there, even as a, as a, as a junior high kid, I'm up there rubbing my hands, getting all excited. And, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a blast, but 
during the obstacle course, um, if you won the last prize, it, it was a trip to Disney, and we didn't quite get it. But one of the things in the very beginning, that first obstacle, if you will, that I had to do was it was called the one-ton human hamster wheel. And in the one-ton human hamster wheel, I got great advice from the person who was just kind of guiding and coaching the kids who would end up doing this. And I ended up getting inside of this hamster wheel that was for a human being. And uh, I remember it was coated with red paint on the inside with white lines. And I remember the woman said to me, when when you're in the one-ton human hamster wheel and you start going, I had to go and get it going really fast. And then the flag would eventually come down when I got it up to a certain speed and my partner would grab the flag and we would go on the obstacle number two. She said, there's been those who have not been able to get beyond this obstacle because they keep their eyes on uh, the, the, the hamster wheel itself and the white lines actually start to become such a distraction that you can't continue climbing and it just sweeps you up and knocks you out and, and you're not able to get the flag to drop. So she said, one of the things you need to do is to keep your eyes outside of yourself and outside of what's going on right there in front of you with the hamster wheel and to focus on a fixed point, turn your head to the right and look out so that you can keep your bearings and you can keep climbing, but you won't get disoriented and you'll be able to pick up more and more speed and get the the flag to drop. Um, I'm so glad I followed that advice uh, because it enabled me to, to perform that obstacle and we were able to get the flag and move on to obstacle number two. Um, one of the things that I felt like I really learned from that experience was if you're caught up in the circumstances of your own life and you're caught up in all the challenges you're facing, it can very easily become a distraction to your personal relationship with Christ. It's so important for us to look outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ and to fix our gaze on Him because that's the great calibrator of our souls to help our souls not to become dry and barren due to just the circumstances of this world. There's temptations, Jesus says here, that come from the world. There's temptations that can come from those who would stumble or cause or tempt some of us to sin. We need to make sure that we Don't focus on the circumstances and the temptations that others are providing in our lives. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we will keep our love for Christ vibrant heading into 2017. And we also will continue to be able to go forward in a way to where we are not distracted in our genuine love for Jesus Christ. So let us fix our eyes on Christ as we focus on Him and keep our eyes fixed on that fixed spot of Jesus Christ, His finished work on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, His saving work in our lives, His faithfulness, it will protect us, brothers and sisters, from sinking. It'll protect us from stumbling. It'll protect us from slowing down and running our race for Jesus Christ and hindering us from moving forward in our lives and in the gospel. And so I want to look at two points flowing out from uh, the the text here today. The first would be genuine Christ-like love, and the second would be genuine relational warmth. Again, the focus is on within our church. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will build further and strengthen within our church a genuine relational warmth amongst us flowing out from genuine Christ-like love. Genuine relational warmth flowing out from genuine Christ-like love. And before we head into the first point, I just want to uh, let you know that I'm going to be focusing on warmth this week. Ben's going to be focusing in on depth uh, next week as, as, as I'm away on vacation. And uh, please pray for John as well. Uh, John has is, is got a re-diagnosis of mono, so he's feeling really sick. 
Um, his ordination uh, Sunday on January 29th, it, where we're having Warren Betcher in, some of you are already aware of that, is staying on schedule. And so we're excited to uh, have John's ordination service here at our church on uh, January 29th. And please, if you haven't done so already, please send send us an email on ways in which you have been blessed by John. I think it would make his ordination service on Sunday more special from personal words of affirmation and confirmation from you all in the way his life and ministry has been a blessing to you. So genuine Christ-like love is the fountain that flows out into genuine relational warmth toward others. We see that in Matthew 17, the passage was on the transfiguration where Jesus takes his disciples up in the, in, onto a high mountain and Jesus is transfigured or he reveals his, his heavenly glory to them in such a way that they are just blown away. They're dazzled by his radiance, dazzled by his glory. But then coming down off of that mountain and flowing into Matthew 18, the disciples, rather than keeping their eyes on Jesus, start to become distracted in verse 1 with a different question. Instead of asking questions like, let's talk about the greatness and glory of Christ, what aspects of His glory and greatness most dazzle you, question mark, which would have been a great fellowship question. The disciples instead asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they started to ask questions that spoke to selfish ambition and striving. Rather than keeping their eyes on Christ, they began to focus off of Christ and start focusing on comparing themselves with one another in such a way to where they were sizing one another up and saying, who's the greatest amongst us? And brothers and sisters, it greatly distracted them. It caused them to take their eyes off of the glorious Christ just revealed to them in Matthew 17 and to start asking questions that threw them into a state of struggle. They asked Jesus this question, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Which one of us is the best, Jesus? To Jesus turning in verse 2 and calling to him a little child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And again in verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We see that there is a call toward humility as we think of God rescuing us from an eternity in hell by sending His Son to die for us on the cross. It ought to cause us not to have great thoughts of ourselves, but great thoughts of God, great thoughts about Christ, and and appropriately lower thoughts, low thoughts of ourselves to the point to where the last thing on our minds coming in on a Sunday morning or as we come to worship Christ should be questions of, hey, how do I size up compared to other people in here? Am I the greatest in here or is somebody else the greatest? Or I wonder where I am in relation to the ladder and how it's supposed to be climbed. Jesus brings a child and part of the reason he brings a child is Children don't have a ladder climbing mentality, a striving of, hey, which one's better? That doesn't tend to reside in a child. There's more of a humility. There's a, there's a, there's an aspect in children where they are just dependent upon those who are giving them care and they're not cunning. They're not aggressively maneuvering to try to get out ahead of other people. And, and Jesus is saying, you need to turn and become like this. Stop your ladder climbing. Stop all of your striving to be something great for yourself and become like a little child. And in another passage, Jesus says, listen, if you want to be the greatest, the greatest is a servant. And of course, we know Jesus demonstrated this so perfectly the night before he died when he got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet. And the disciples were blown away. 
And Jesus was saying to them, this here is symbolic. Me washing your feet is symbolic of what I'm going to do for you tomorrow. When I humble myself and I stretch out my arms on a wooden cross and I am pierced for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquities. I am going to be your sin bearer, believer. I'm going to receive the wrath of God in your place and take it all upon myself. Oh, brothers and sisters, Jesus was the greatest servant of all. And that's why, as Philippians 2 talks about, His name is above every name. Because of His humility, because of His sacrificial love, that's the path. That's the path we are to pursue. Not a pathway of striving and selfish ambition. And in fact, in Philippians chapter 2, the Word of God says, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider others more significant than yourselves. I mean, think of how our marriages would be transformed if we apply Philippians 2 verse 4 into our marriages more into 2017. Think about how much it can transform family life, parent to child, child to parent, if we apply Philippians 2 verse 4. Think about how it can transform church life when we all humble ourselves and become like little children and view each other as my sister, my brother, and I'm eager to serve you, to lay my life down for you, to wash your feet because I'm so dazzled by the glory of Christ and how He laid down His life for me. It is my joy, my honor to serve you. Think about when striving cease. And the glory of Christ becomes our collective meditation. Our love starts to build and grow together as a flock. And and we would become a congregation. Like John 13 says, you will know that they are Christians by their love. Their love for God and their love for one another. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us all collectively get a vision for this. And let us all recognize that we all have a responsibility to, to, to enter into this Scripture of humbling ourselves and becoming like little children, not seeking in any way to strive or to put anyone else down, but to do everything we can to serve others and lay down our lives for them. I'm really moved in the book of Revelation when, when Jesus talks about the church in Ephesus and says, you've lost your first love. You've lost the love that you had at first. Brothers and sisters, they did so much right in that church, but they took their eyes off of a pure, simple devotion to Christ and His glory, and it started to begin to work its way through and to the point where they were doing so many things well, but the indictment against them is you've lost the love that you had at first. You've lost your first love. Return to your first love. Return to focusing on Christ and His glory in Matthew 17 and cease asking questions. The question itself reveals a heart that's not the heart of a child of God. But it's more indicative of the heart of the world, the the ladder climbing, the dog-eat-dog, the who-can-see-who-can-get-on-top. That's not the way it's meant to be in God's kingdom. That's not the way it's meant to ever be in God's church. And let us, as we head into 2017, let us strive together to keep our eyes collectively on Christ, brothers and sisters, to pure and simple devotion to Him so that we serve one another in love, so that we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility we consider others 
more significant than ourselves. May God give us grace to have that genuine Christ-like love that is so devoted to God and His will that it would say in Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to serve. I'm going to become obedient to death, even death on a cross, in order to rescue and ransom these sinners who, have, who will believe in me. Oh, church, may we likewise pursue that Christ-like love, that Christ-like humility, so that our family life as a local church overflows with genuine relational warmth that brings glory and honor to God. Point two, genuine relational warmth. Genuine relational warmth. You see here that how we treat God's little ones really matters to God. You look in verse 5, whoever receives one such child or a child of God in Christ's name receives Christ. That's how closely bound together we are with Christ. We are one with Christ. We are united together with Christ through faith. And that doctrine of our union with Christ means that we are so bound together with Him that when we receive a child of God in Christ's name with humility and warmth and and childlike embrace, we do honor to Him as opposed to stumble our brothers or sister. This Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, there's a great contrast. We receive children of God. That language of reception is one of acceptance, of warmth, of embracing all of our brothers and sisters into our hearts. No longer, as we head into 2017, may we not as a church keep people at arm's length, but do all we can to embrace those. And not just those whom it's easy to love, but also to embrace and bring into our our affection those who are harder to love in our midst for us. To do all we can to really greet and welcome and, and accept those who are coming in the doors and as people are coming out of the world and getting saved and coming into the church Brothers and sisters, it's our collective responsibility to receive them in. To greet, to warmly engage, to draw out, to invite them to our care groups, to invite them into the fellowship of our church. To do all we can to receive the children of God into the house of God, to where they feel welcomed, where they feel accepted, to where they feel loved, where they feel like, I belong here. I belong here. And that's something that all of us need to, through our warmth in Christ, convey to people through our attitudes, through our actions, through our hospitality, to our inviting people into our lives. I think there could be a temptation, especially as the years go on, where we can feel like we've been relationally burned by people in the past. And so therefore, instead of, an, of a mindset and an attitude of embrace, embracing new people, embracing people in, there is a self-protection mode that we can go into to where we're just, we're looking to self-protect and make sure that we don't ever get hurt anymore. But what we've got to understand is those two mentalities can often be separate from one another because when you're in self-protection mode, that's a cold mode to be in. You're not going to be able to relationally embrace your brothers and sisters in Christ and receive them the way Christ desires you to if you're thinking about yourself. If you're thinking about, I'm going to live my life in such a way that I never get relationally burned again. Brothers and sisters, that's the way for our heart to shut down. We want our heart to enlarge toward the people of God. We want our hearts to rise up to say, I want to embrace I want to take in. And no matter how many times I experience pain, maybe even within my church fellowship, I'm not going to stop embracing. 
I'm not going to stop reaching out and engaging everybody who is around me and keeping my heart large and open and welcoming and engaging. Brothers and sisters, we are called to do that as pastors. Every single one of us have this responsibility in the church to have this large, welcoming, warm heart toward others. And we need to ask questions in terms of our own attitude. Is there a genuine interest in the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters around us? We can't come into church week in and week out thinking, how can I get in and get out without, with as little relational contact as possible? The church isn't meant to be a theater where we go and we watch a movie and we walk out. The church is meant to be more like a family room where we all come together and we, we talk and converse over, over food, friendship, fellowship, life, where we share life, where we do life together, where we have such a close love for Christ and we share in that together. That's what koinonia is all about. That word koinonia means we share our experience of Christ, our love for Christ together, and we fuel our love for Christ as we're around one another more. Brothers and sisters, that's the way it's meant to be life in the local church. Family life. Like a family room rather than a movie theater. Where we are welcoming people in to sit down and relax and to do all we can to accept them, to embrace them in to the family, where we have a genuine interest in God's people and we're eager to obey what Jesus says. Anyone who receives one of these little ones in my name receives me. And I think time can be one of those tests for all of us. Because through the years, it's, I think it's easy to start out well receiving God's little ones and say, man, I'm going to embrace God's people. I'm going to bring them into my life. But once again, where that gets tested is over time. When we face tests and adversity, not just out there, but in here, where we fight through difficulties relationally, even with one another, and say, no, we're not going to give ourselves over to bitterness. We're not going to give ourselves over to unforgiveness. We're not going to do those things. We're not going to gossip about other brothers and sisters in this church. No, we are going to do everything we can to enter into love and engaging and embracing. And if there is a problem that I have with my brother or my sister, I'm going to do what Matthew 18 says. I'm going to take that problem to my brother. I'm not going to talk to five other people first before I go and talk to them. I'm going to do everything I can do to reconcile myself with my brother or sister because if we're out of sync that matters to God and if I no longer am in a place where I can receive any brother or any sister in here warmly into my affection and embrace where I start to become cold distant from them or just you know what, I'll just tolerate them but I'm not going to give a care about them and I stop praying for them, I stop engaging in them brothers and sisters We need to make sure that the test of time, which will test all of our love, all of our devotion, all of our affections, whether it be in our blood family life or whether it be in our church family life, time will test our genuine relational warmth and our love for one another. And I'm burdened for all of us that we pass that test together. By God's grace, we have grown in our love for Christ and our love for one another over 15 years. But as we head into our next 15, let us be of this temperament that we are going to do everything we can to fight. That no distance ever comes in between my affection and my heart of receiving any one of God's little ones into my embrace. Jesus says, you know, if you love those who love you, what good is that to you? Even the pagans do that. Where we show Christ-like love is when we 
We don't say, you know what, I'm done with that person the way the world does when relationships have times of testing in the church body. We don't say, I'm done and I'm out of here and I'm breaking off with them or I'm never going to talk with them again, I'm never going to look at them again. We don't act like that in the church. What we do is we say, you know what, something's out of sync with my brother. Something's out of sync with my sister. Something's out of sync with one of God's little ones and me as his little one. And I'm going to do everything I can as family, to make sure that we are reconciled, that we are close, that we are tight, and that we have nothing hindering us from our love toward one another. You know, in my own experience in my Christian life, I can sometimes think that if something's out of sync with one of my brothers or sisters, that's okay, it doesn't affect my relationship with God. Bottom line is, when things break down relationally, where we refuse to be reconciled to or to work through challenges, problems, get on the other side of tests and bring people back into the embrace of our affection, it starts to take a toll on our relationship with God. God very much cares how we treat His little ones. And so, let us do all we can to receive God's children in Christ's name. And also, as John preached on a couple weeks ago in Matthew 18, verse 10, see that you do not despise, verse 10, one of these little ones. We are not ever to despise, hate, one of God's little ones. We are to receive God's little ones. And brothers and sisters, that does get tested. I'm really affected by the tests of relational warmth that I know I have faced in my own Christian life and I know others have faced as well. I was thinking about this um, just over this past week and one of the things I wrote down, and you see this later on in Matthew 18 where We are called to forgive others as we have been forgiven by God. We're going to look at that later on in Matthew chapter 18. We see in verse 15 coming up, if our brother sins against us, go and tell him his fault just between the two of you. There's a call for us to forgive those who have hurt us. There's a call to receive and to embrace and to pursue reconciliation with those who we are relationally estranged from. You know, my wife Shannon and I, we were fellowshipping about this related to Matthew 18 and how important it is for us to treat God's little ones well, to not despise them when we encounter their weaknesses, when we encounter their temptations, when we encounter the reality that we're not in heaven yet. We're not in heaven yet. And we need to have thick skin and a heart to say, I want to help my brothers and sisters all the way until we get to heaven and do everything I can to be not so emotionally sensitive that the first time something happens where I feel like I'm offended, I'm out of here. But to say, you know what? No, we're going to be cut of a different cloth here in Christ's community. We are going to weather storms together. We are going to press into when we have challenges and struggles. And when we are sinned against, we are going to forgive those who hurt us. My wife Shannon was saying, one of the ways God keeps His gospel fresh in our lives is by asking us to forgive others who have hurt us. Asking us to forgive others who have hurt us. One of the biggest examples of this I can think of is Jesus, who on the cross, as He's being crucified, is praying a prayer over those who are spitting upon Him, mocking Him, humiliating Him, shaming Him, degrading Him, crucifying Him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, brothers and sisters, That ought to be our heart collectively as a church body whenever love is tested from little one to little one. 
May we do everything to honor the Lord and honor this heart, to treat God's little ones well, to be willing to absorb a cost. And that's what forgiveness is all about. Being willing to absorb a cost in order to gain our brother back and to restore our sister back. One of the things I think that can test love, continuing to bear with. There's a call in Galatians to bear with one another in love. That's one of the calls, one of the commands. I've been thinking about it a lot for myself in my own Christian life, but I think it's very relevant for us in relation to this passage and this burden. Listen carefully. To continue to bear with those who will never ask you for forgiveness. Can we continue to bear with and to receive those who have hurt us and frankly don't care? I wish I could say you're only going to get that in in the world, but you're going to get it at times in the church. It should not be. It's going to happen though. Let us be cut of a thicker cloth than the cloth that our generation is so clothed with, where when somebody wrongs us once, we say, I'm done with this person. I mark them. I speak negatively about them to everybody else without going to them first. No, we are going to do things differently by God's grace amongst how we treat God's little ones. We're going to go about it in a biblical way. We're going to go about it in a way that's different because God cares how we treat His little ones. And I'm really moved by this for myself. God, help me to continue to bear with those who will never ask me for for forgiveness and who have hurt me, or who have hurt my family. Somebody says something in a way that hurts one of your children. Somebody says something that hurts your spouse. We don't have liberty to go against what Jesus says here. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones in your heart. We cannot say, well, hey, they wronged me, so therefore God's word, I can set it aside, and I can pour out my venom and my anger and and my bitterness in my heart toward that person and be cold toward them. No, brothers and sisters, it falls on us, each one of us individually, to say, no, we are going to fight for relational warmth. We are going to do that amongst ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, and also we are going to be welcoming in new people into this church with acceptance and embrace in a way that receives them in, makes them feel welcomed, makes them feel accepted, makes them feel loved, makes them feel like they've got a place to belong here in Christ Community Church. Because we are like the very best of family. We work through difficulties when we go through them. When we sin against one another, we ask one another for forgiveness. When we make mistakes, we apologize to one another. We extend forgiveness to one another. We absorb that cost and don't give ourselves over to roots of bitterness that can destroy unity and destroy warmth and make the church a cold place to be. No, making the church a warm, relational place, a family room that you want to be in. Brothers and sisters, that is our collective responsibility. Amen? And may God give us grace, each one of us, to treat His little ones well. And when others don't treat us well, we do everything we can to take the log out of our own eye and do what we can to help our brother and sister with their speck so that we preserve and we make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as Ephesians talks about. Let us strive As we head into 2017, let it be said of Christ Community Church, oh, how they love Christ, and oh, how they love one another. And you know what? They're not a perfect church. they got warts, and they've got relational challenges. But you know what? They go about it differently here than I see out in the world, or even as I see in other churches. They don't write each other off at the first sign of trouble. They don't run at the first sign of trouble. They work through. They fight for God in themselves, and they fight for God amongst one another. Brothers and sisters, let us strive. Let us own this responsibility 
so that Christ would be glorified and he would be honored and he would be esteemed. He would be cherished. He would be loved. I was reading a quote in closing. I just thought, amen. I was talking about how people aren't looking for a hipper Christianity. One Christian just said, we're looking for a truer Christianity. Real. True. Faithful to Christ. Faithful toward one another. We're looking for a truer Christianity. A more authentic Christianity. And they ended the quote, no coffee shops or fog machines required. Amen. We're not here to give some flashy, hip presentation to where you walk away feeling like, I saw a good movie today. Our fellowship life needs to run deep. And Ben's going to talk about that next week. I'm really excited about that. To where we are all pursuing Christ so deeply in the Word that when we can't wait to get to care group to talk about Christ. And we can't wait to go to care group to carry our brothers and sisters' burdens in the Lord and to do all we can to help our brothers and sisters on their journey, on their way toward heaven. And to do everything we can to love each other, to bear with one another in love, and to honor Christ by being a true church. A true church that does all it can to honor and glorify Christ in our attitudes toward one another. I'd like to close with reading in 1 John. Um, We're just going to read the scripture and pray. 1 John 3. If you have your Bibles, if you could read along with me in your Bibles, that'd be great. First John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. Look at verse 16. By this we know love. That He, speaking of Jesus, laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, oh Christ Community Church, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation or the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Brothers and sisters, as we head into 2017, let me just encourage all of us. If there's any relationship in our life, whether it be in our family, whether it be in our church family, whether it be extended Christian family, outside even of our local church, where there's something not right, something's not in sync, let us be the one who leaves our gift at the altar and says, you know what, no, I'm going to go and be reconciled to my brother. I'm going to go and be reconciled to my sister. I'm not going to let this situation in my family continue to fester. I'm going to treat God's little ones well. I'm going to show that the love of God abides in me. By showing genuine love toward this person and reconciling with them. Getting back in the sink and living at peace with them as far as it is possible with me. I'm going to do all I can. Let us honor Christ by being a church family that has genuine relational warmth flowing out from genuine Christ-like love. Let's pray. Oh, Almighty God, we thank you so much for this new year. And I pray that we as a church family would be marked by warmth. Warm affections for Christ. Warm devotion. That we would fix our gaze on that fixed spot outside of our circumstances. Outside of the spinning hamster wheel of our troubles and our challenges and our our relational difficulties. Lord, we want to look to you, Christ. And in you, we will find what to do. In you, we will find how to act, how to behave, what attitudes we should have toward those who have hurt us, toward those who have sinned against us. And Lord, we want to honor you. We want to treat your little ones well. We want to demonstrate to this world they can tell that we're Christians by our love for one another. God, I pray that unbelievers, as they walk into this room in 2017 and experience the life of our church, that they would see a true Christianity and a true church that has its challenges and its struggles, but works, ever works, to fight through them, to grow stronger in our love and affection and our unity with one another. God, I pray that you would help us, even as we reflect here on Matthew 18, on this call to treat your little ones well. God, I pray that we would excel in it for your glory. And we're so thankful that you laid your life down on the cross for us, that you are you were a propitiation for our sins. Lord, thank you that, Lord, where we have fallen short, Lord, we turn and we want to all say collectively, forgive us. And we know that we can cry out to you and say, forgive us, and know that we're forgiven. Because you were the propitiation for our sins. You, Jesus, satisfied the wrath of God that was against us. And you have saved us from that wrath. You have saved us from the eternity in hell that we deserve. And now, Lord, forgiven, we forgive. Loved by you, we love. Holy Spirit, empower us toward this type of true Christianity and relational warmth. We ask for your blessing over our congregation and over all of us.
that we would shine, Jesus, for you in relation to these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, Happy New Year. And I'm going to be heading out real soon to get on the road. I think we've got to get down to Sumter, South Carolina, and then it'll leave six hours for us tomorrow morning. So I'm excited, looking forward to it. We'll be thinking of you all. Thank you for feeling so much like family. We love you guys. We're so grateful for you. Have a great day. Love you, church.